Welcome to the Teaching and Lectio podcast for the Abbey, a contemplative vineyard church in Columbus, Ohio. You can find previous teachings and our contemplative reading of the scriptures on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on our website at theabbeycolumbus.church. There, you'll also find important announcements, along with the location and time of our all-church gatherings and community groups throughout the city. The Abbey is committed to being a church that helps people notice and nurture the work of God in their own lives, in the lives of others, and in the world around us. Here's this week's message. The passage this morning comes from Acts chapter 13. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Hey, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Blessings uh, to you. And um, if you are new with us, my name is Jared, and I'm one of the pastors here. And we've been doing a teaching series uh, entitled The Kingdom, and we're going to be continuing that series um, basically until the summer. And then we'll have our summer school of formation, um, and that's sort of the general rhythm of, of our time together over the course of a year. So last week at a normal chapel service in an auditorium on the campus of Asbury University in Kentucky, a worship uh, service, um, as worship was sort of coming to a close, the students of Asbury, um, most of whom are in their early 20s, they just sort of lingered for a while. So chapel was getting over, and by the way, I actually watched the chapel service um, on the internet um, that led up to what I'm about to explain happened. It was a tremendously boring chapel service, just want to let you know. But what happened is students begin to linger, and they begin um, to just kind of spontaneously worship, and then they begin to pray, and they begin to confess and repent of their sin out loud, and they begin to impromptu sort of read the scriptures out loud as they were led, and 12 days later, they're still worshiping. I don't know if you guys are following this in the news. Maybe this is coming across my news feed more because of my vocation as a pastor. Like my entire news feed is like Asbury Revival, Asbury Revival, the outpouring of Asbury. And maybe you're getting like stuff in your feed about puppies. I don't know. But this is the kind of stuff that shows up in my news feed. And over the past week or so, people from all across the country, even I know people from England and from Norway, Testing. Oh, there it goes. I might cut out there for a second. Um, people from all over the world have shown up into the middle of Kentucky to try to figure out what's happening. What, what is God doing in Kentucky? They're, they're saying it, it possibly is a, a revival or an outpouring. And I have a number of friends at Asbury that I have spoken with. Um, there's a couple folks here in the room that actually drove down and, and had some experience there at Asbury. And... Um, Everybody that I have spoken to has told me that the experience of being in the room and worshiping and praying is marked by what feels like a blanket of God's presence in the room, like peace, 
and a sense that God is healing people of some really deep things. So the stage is largely empty. The worship teams are, are sort of off to the side. There's no lights. There's no smoke machine. Um, people are kneeling in prayer at the altar. Confession is happening both privately and publicly, and nobody planned for it. Nobody tried to make it happen. There was no billion-dollar ad campaign. But there is unmistakably an outpouring of God's presence, drawing people to himself in the middle of Kentucky. And it's happening primarily among young people. I can say young people because I'm in my mid-40s, but these folks are in their like early 20s and younger, and they've begun to sort of section off most of the experience for high schoolers and college students. And so if you're an adult and you try to get down there, they're going to push you out to the fringe, to the overflow room, as they rightfully should. So I don't know what this makes you feel. I don't know if you feel curious or skeptical. I don't know what your background is. I don't know if you've ever sort of lived through a moment of revival. But when I hear about a room full of people worshiping God and confessing sin and experiencing in their bodies the presence of God, what comes to my mind is a Saturday evening in 1994 when I walked into a room that was not entirely unlike that one. But there was no revival. There was nothing happening. There was no news outlet covering it. It's just that I walked into a room full of people who were worshiping and when I was 16 years old and I tentatively opened up my hands because I'd never really done that in worship. So this is like me at 16. I'm just like this. And the love of God got poured on top of me. I had a profound encounter, I began to feel the presence and the love of God in a way that I had never encountered before. I began to feel the love of God in my body and I believe that in many ways my entire life has been defined by that moment because, as I mentioned, I'm in my mid-40s, which means I'm doing a lot of reflecting about life. Anybody doing that in your 40s? I'm thinking a little bit about what has brought me to this moment right now. Like, what is my life about? And as I've been reflecting, I've, my mind has gone back to this Saturday evening in 1994 when God met me with his presence. And in many ways... Um, I've been living my life trying to figure out how to learn how to give away what I received on that day. And I'm not trying to over-dramatize it. I I'm really not. I'm just trying to be honest with you about the shape of my own life and about even why we're doing what we're doing here. Is it something that happened 29 years ago? So whatever is happening at Asbury, there is no doubt in my mind that there are college students and seminary students in those rooms experiencing the presence of God in their life that will mark them for the rest of their days. And if that's happening, um, I'm in for it. And my prayer this week is, God, whatever you want to do among us, you can do. God basically spills himself out into the world. And this is actually what we've been reading about in our teaching series on the kingdom, that whatever is happening at Asbury is very similar or at least rhymes with what happens in the book of Acts, as we have read, where there's reports of the kingdom of God spreading from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the outer parts of the world. And men and women encountering the presence of God and then trying to figure out how to orient their lives around what they have just encountered. And you can read about these encounters in Acts chapter 2 and chapter 4 and 8 and 10 and 19. But what is really clear 
in the way that Luke is telling the story is that the Holy Spirit is the one leading the church. And so our passage this morning from Acts 13 marks a bit of a transition in the story. Uh, we started back in September in Acts chapter 1. Uh, a few months ago in the middle of Advent, Tori talked about a story from Acts chapter 11 of how Peter heard a voice while he was praying and that that voice directed Peter to the house of a man named Cornelius who himself had heard the voice of the Spirit telling him to send for Peter, resulting in the good news being spread all to the Gentiles. And then that movement spread to the city of Antioch, where the church began to grow, and they were so overwhelmed by what God was doing in Antioch that they had to go look for Paul, which means they like sent people in various different directions on boats to try to find Paul wherever he might be because they were realizing that what was happening in the church in Antioch needed somebody with some particular skills. And so they said, Paul, we need your help. Will you please come? And Paul stayed in Antioch for two years discipling people. And then some men with prophetic gifts came from Jerusalem to Antioch to let them know that there was a famine coming. And they were praying and they were worshiping and they heard the Spirit speak to them about the famine. And so they went to Antioch for a, a time where they could take up a collection for the poor to say, listen, there's a fam- famine coming. The Holy Spirit has spoke to us. We would ask that you would set aside some funds so that when that famine actually hits, that we can distribute that to people who need food. And Hannah reminded us a few weeks ago that the entire posture of the church during that time was sort of this openness to being led by the Spirit to sell fields and to sell houses to care for one another, to share their resources with one another. And Rachel led us in Electio on Acts chapter 12 where a messenger, an angel, shows up next to Peter when he's sleeping in a jail cell between two guards. And this angel of the Lord appeared and a great light shone into the cell and the angel began speaking to Peter about what was about to happen in their escape plan. You can go read about that in Acts chapter 12. And listen, I don't know if you're catching the very not-so-subtle way that I'm trying to reframe the story. There should have been some slides on the back to give you a little cheat sheet. But it appears that any close reading of what Luke is laying out in the book of Acts would lead us to one conclusion. This whole kingdom project, it's being led by the Spirit. Period. And it's happening primarily in the everyday lives of normal human beings who are gathering together in really simple ways, praying and listening for the leading of the Spirit and committing to doing what the Spirit would lead them to do and then offering support to people who set out on their way to try to follow the Spirit's lead in their life and in their life together. It's a really simple formula. The Spirit is leading. The people are listening. They're responding And then they're laying hands on to send people out. And listen, we could run all the way back through the text. And we could read also uh, moments where nobody knew what to do. Where things felt really confusing. And where the vision in the middle of the night felt perplexing. Or when they were surprised by opposition or unsure of what to do with this particular leader. Or they were wrestling through the anxiety of the fact that their friend Stephen had just been drawn out of the city and stoned to death. We could read about all of these moments, but the primary story is that in response to all of that confusion and desire to be led and wondering what to do next, they gathered to pray, they listened for the speaking of the Spirit of God, 
And they acted on whatever they heard God saying. And they supported one another in the work. Does this make sense? It's really simple. So listen, friend, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus or a student of the way of Jesus, and if you are with other people who are also trying to sort out what it means to participate in the kingdom that Jesus is bringing into the world, at some point, you will not quite know what to do next. You will forget about the story that you are trying to live into, and you will lose your place in the story. I promise that that will happen if it hasn't already. And what, what we need to know is that what you need to know, what I need to know, is that the Holy Spirit is the one leading you and leading me. And there are a few things that we can do together to nurture an environment for us to be able to listen to what the Spirit is doing among us. And that's the main idea for our time together this morning. I want to talk with you about together by the Spirit, listening to the Spirit, following the Spirit, and the laying on of hands. So first, together by the Spirit. Read with me in our next uh, our teaching text again. It says, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and there were teachers, um, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were serving the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart Barnabas and Saul, for me, for the work to which I have called them. And then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So at first glance, we might be tempted to think that Luke is just sort of like throwing out a bunch of random names to sort of fill out the picture. Um, we might be tempted to skip over those names because they're not people that we've actually heard a lot from. Uh, you've, ne you've never heard of Menian or Lucius the Cyrene, I'm sure. So in addition to Barnabas and Saul, Luke tells us about these three other people who are in Antioch who are said to be prophets and teachers, which means that they're probably leading in some way in the local church. Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Menean. So real quick, Simeon, he gets this second name, Niger, most likely scholars tell us because he had a dark complexion. So Niger is Latin for black or dark. And so uh, we, we get really clear indication that the church at Antioch is very multicultural. Um, Lucius was actually a really common name in the Roman world. So Lucius is part of the Roman Empire. Um, the Roman world had basically 18 first names called uh, Prenomia. And so if you're wondering, like when you're watching a show about the Roman Empire, why everyone seems to have the same names over and over and over again, it's because, you know, like Lucius and Marcus and Quintus and Gaius, it's because they only had 18 names to choose from. Lucius, Luke tells us, was from Cyrene, which is in the modern day North African country of Libya. So he was from Africa. And Menean, Luke tells us, had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. But if you dig a little deeper, what Luke is really saying is this guy, Menean, was the foster brother of Herod, who was part of the very influential family called the Herodians. So in the ancient world, 
when your family was a big deal, like a wealthy and powerful family like the Herodians, if you were to become friends with one of the kids of that family, you would effectively be adopted into that family. You would sort of be made a part of it. You'd probably go on vacation with them. You'd be hanging out in the palace. You would probably be incorporated into their state in some ways. And so this guy, Menean, grew up with a guy named Herod, who was rich and wealthy and powerful. But this is the same Herod, Herod and Tippas, who killed John the Baptist and put a royal robe on the back of Jesus before sending him back to Pilate to be crucified. So we have Saul, who was raised in a very strict religious upbringing, trained to be a religious leader, who has an encounter with the Spirit of God, with the presence of God on the way to kill some Christians. We've got Barnabas, who was originally part of the priestly family called the Levites, but when he encountered Jesus' ministry, became a follower of Jesus, and later was one of those people in Acts chapter 4 who sold his estate in order to support the ministry. We have Lucius, who was a Roman and who would have been quite naturally very much disposed to be an enemy of Paul and Barnabas. He was from North Africa. We have Simeon, who was a black man from Africa, given his dark complexion. And we have Menean, who was best friends with one of the guys responsible for the execution of John the Baptist and Jesus. And they're all in a room worshiping and praying and fasting listening for the Holy Spirit. The only thing that brings a room like this together is the Spirit of God. They are together by the Spirit. And friends, listen, the same is true of this room. Can I just say that? Like, I believe that we are here by the Spirit of God. So Heather, who's sick today, by the way, four or so years ago, uh, like, finds this little community on the internet and decides to move here from California because she sensed that God was leading her to be a part of this church. Um, Brad and Kate, uh, who I just met a few years ago, guys, they moved here from Colorado because they sensed that they wanted to be a part of this church. Katie moved here from Chicago because she sensed that, that God was doing something in her and had something for her here in Columbus. Ben and Aaron moved back from Florida to Columbus because they had a sense that God wanted them to be here. I met Rachel while picking cherries outside of my front yard like four or five years ago on her way back from a yoga class. I say hello, and now she's one of the dearest people in my life. And I could go on and on and on with each of you. Jordan moves from Oklahoma because he sensed that God wanted him to be here in Columbus. Guys, the only thing that makes this happen, Noah and Naomi just moved from Delaware City to Franklinton, guys, the only reason that we are here is because of the Spirit of God. That's it. And we could tell a story about every single one of you. But at the end of the day, the person who gathers people together in a room like this to worship on a Sunday morning when you would probably maybe want to be at brunch right now is that the Spirit of God is welcoming you into this room and bringing us together. This is what is happening in the book of Acts. And one of the major themes that Luke has been talking about since the very beginning is that God is gathering a people and putting them into rooms for worship and prayer so that he can speak to them. So these are people who are formally caught up in their own little lives, facing 
all these different directions, and God brings them into the room and says, worship me, and I will speak to you, and all of their shoulders now turned in one direction. They're fasting together, and they're praying together, gathering for no other reason than wanting to be a part of what God was doing in the world. And they're listening by the Spirit. They're listening to the Spirit. Verse 2 says, While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. But here's the thing. The thing that the Spirit highlights for them was not something new for Barnabas and Paul. It's not like out of the blue, Holy Spirit says, You should move across the country or something like that. Paul and Barnabas were already doing the thing that was in their heart to do. The whole reason that Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch is that when there was an outpouring in Antioch, someone realized that they needed the particular gifts that Paul had, so they went and they got him. And when they had spent two years, Paul and Barnabas went back to Jerusalem, did some ministry in Jerusalem, and now we're now back in Antioch in a room praying and worshiping. And they had already been basically following the lead of the Spirit all throughout the region, trying to figure out how do we bring the gospel to all of these different sets of people. The Spirit was speaking to them collectively to say, this is the work, the work that these guys are already doing. I've actually called them to it. And you need to come around them and put your hands on them and send them out to do it again. But they had already been doing it, part of that process of following and hearing the Spirit. The timing of the Holy Spirit in speaking this clearly is really interesting. He doesn't drastically shift what's already happening. The Spirit doesn't come and speak to just Paul and Barnabas alone and sort of birth in them this crazy idea to do something. Um, of course, this does happen, by the way. We, we can read all about this throughout the book of Acts where an individual has an encounter with the Spirit. But usually when this happens... The individual comes back into community and puts it before the community and says, this is what I heard the Spirit speaking to me. So guys, God speaks to us individually, but the way it's designed to work is that we then bring our felt sense of God's Spirit into community and we, we bear that in front of other people and God, God supports us by saying to other people, yes, this is actually what's happening. There's dialogue and there's prayer and there's fasting to confirm in community what is happening in an individual. Does this make sense? So, for example, when Peter had a dream where the Spirit communicated to him, like, hey, man, it's going to be okay for you to eat whatever is put in front of you. You can go and dine with that Greek guy, Cornelius. It's going to be fine. When he had that experience... He followed the lead of the Spirit, and then he brought that entire experience before community and told them, and the community around him said, yeah, that sounds right. Let's do more of that. And before that, when Saul had an encounter with the risen Christ and he wanted to get involved in the spreading of the gospel, he came and he told his story to all of the people in the church. And he spent three years in Damascus receiving instruction from people that he would later lead. And then as a community was, was praying and fasting and worshiping, the Holy Spirit spoke to the community and affirmed the work that Paul and Barnabas were called to. So friends, the way that the Spirit leads is almost always soft and gentle 
and slow. There's almost always this sort of slow unfolding plan with some tentative steps and then some courageous stepping out in faith in the middle of uncertainty. And then God speaks to other people about the things that he has placed in your heart. Guys, this is why it's really important to stay engaged in rooms like this. It's really important to show up for prayer and worship because whatever God is wanting to do in your life, he is going to confirm with the people around you. This is the way it's designed. And I know that right now in the world, there's like lots of people trying to figure out church, and that's totally fine. I want all the space in the world for that. But here's what I know to be true from experience and from through counseling and doing spiritual direction with people all over the world is that people who stay engaged in environments of worship and prayer and fasting, God speaks to them with other people. Over and over and over again, we see unfold in the book of Acts is that the Spirit speaks when people are gathered together in prayer, in worship, and when together the community is orienting their lives around listening for the invitation of God. God, what do you want for us? What do you want for my life? And how do these people play a role in that? So the kingdom of God comes when we're together by the Spirit and listening to the Spirit with a willingness to follow wherever the Spirit is leading. St. Ignatius of Loyola says that when you're seeking the leading of God in your life, when you're fasting and praying and your shoulders are turned towards God, the primary experience of being led by God feels like water dripping onto a sponge. Can you get that picture in your mind right now? Just water just coming into a sponge. What would, what would that be like? The water just falls under the sponge and dissipates throughout the whole thing. So there's not often like a big splash when God speaks, but there's often just a little drop being distributed through your heart and through your will, and through your desire, and through your prayers, and the leading of the Spirit is like water hitting a sponge. Of course, there's instances in the Scriptures where it looks a little different. Um, there are burning bushes, and clouds of fire, and parting of the seas, uh, but mostly when God is inviting people to join His work and building in His kingdom in the world, there's a quiet, consistent whisper from God, and then the invitation is to step out and to do the things that he is inviting you to do, and then he will come around the people around you to confirm that that is actually happening in you. Most of us need other people around us to get the courage to do the things that God is asking of us. Is that true of you? That's certainly been true of me. I have required a fleet of people around me. <laughs> to help me to have the courage to do the things that I know that God is speaking to me, but I'm frankly just too weak. And I don't, I don't say that in any bad way. It's just, it's just true. I'm too weak to do those things by myself. And this is what is happening. This is one of the most beautiful things that's happening all throughout the book of Acts, is that people become encouraged. They become with courage because people are around them. There are many hands at work and a lot of moving pieces that they're trying to attend to. 
And it's when they're fasting and praying and worshiping that the Holy Spirit shows up and he begins to speak. So they're together by the Spirit and they're listening by the Spirit with a willingness to follow the Spirit. And part of that posture of listening is a posture of prayer and fasting. So let me just talk briefly about that. I just want to say to you, God is not hiding from you. God is not trying to withhold from you an invitation for you to step into the things that he is asking you to step into. God is not aloof waiting for you to scream loud enough to get his attention. He is right next to you. He is really close to you. In fact, he's inside of you. As Augustine says, that God is closer to us than we are to ourselves. God has stitched himself to you. He has poured his spirit into you. You are a house of God's presence. So when you're trying to seek sort of, God, what do I do next? What do you want me to do? You don't have to scream loud for God to, you just have to say, God, what do you want? And will you please bring some people around me to help me answer that question? All of that's true. But it doesn't mean there aren't some things that we can do to participate in nurturing the conditions by which we might listen better. While they were ministering to the Lord, which is a whole sermon that I'm just going to skip over, we can minister to God. Can, can you just like let that sink in? We can minister to God, and that happens through worship. While they were ministering to the Lord through worship and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke to them. And listen, the temptation right here as a pastor and a preacher is to ask you as an individual to reflect on your personal practices of prayer and fasting. That's my temptation. In fact, the first draft, that's exactly what I did. I was going to ask you a question like, how is this working for you? And what's, what's your rhythm of prayer and fasting in your life? But as I was looking back at the passage and I was thinking about what I really wanted to say, what I really wanted to say more closely aligns with asking you a question about what is our collective practice. Thanks, Stanley. What is our collective practice? I guess I got a little animated there, huh? <laughs> Throwing iPads across the floor. What is our collective practice as a community of prayer and fasting? This is sort of what's been stirred up for me this week. What are we doing together such that we might turn our shoulders to God and ask him to speak to us by his spirit? I mean, of course, like, here we are. We're doing it right now. Uh, we are here together. We're about to head into worship. We're praying together. But listen, it's really convenient for me in this particular moment of the sermon that we're about to head into Lent. And Hannah mentioned this a little bit. And what I'd like to do is I would like to invite us into a season of prayer and fasting for Lent. And I'm going to send out maybe a quick little communication later this week to orient us about that, but Lent begins this Ash Wednesday, and it's a period between Ash Wednesday and Holy Saturday where the church all throughout the world engages in a deepening of the practice of prayer and self-reflection and love for the poor. And the way that this season is experienced as a deepening period of prayer historically has been through some practice of fasting and repentance. Fasting is just the removal of something from our life in order to help us get in touch with our need for God. And repentance 
the act of, is the act of agreeing with God how much we need him. Particularly as we allow ourselves to just be honest about the ways that we're not living according to the primary law of love that we read about in the gospel. That's what repentance is. It's just saying, God, here's the invitation that you've extended to me to be a person that loves in the way that you love. And I'm going to focus a little attention in the next 40 days to think about how am I not actually doing that? And Lord, I need your help. That's all repentance is. So I would like to invite us into a period and a season of prayer and fasting during Lent. Historically, fasting has been a fasting from food, um, particularly in the ancient world where food was like the only thing that was fun and enjoyable. Does that make sense? Like, it's like if you wanted to have some fun in the ancient world, you ate and you drank. And I can't believe that in that context, that's the thing they gave up, but that's exactly what happened. In our day and age, um, there's a ton of things that we use to distract us. Not even from anything, but just to distract us. We, we primarily are a people who are more distracted than not. And so I don't know what fasting would look like from you. I mean, I don't know how much room food takes in your life. If it's something that you feel really pulled by or, or even alcohol or whatever it is, these are traditional fasts. You could choose to maybe skip a meal in a given day and use that time for prayer. Maybe you could, uh, by the end of uh, Lent, maybe you could go two meals where you don't eat and see what that feels like in your body. But fasting is a way of praying with your body. It's a way of removing something that you're leaning on so that you might become more present to the way that you are in need of God. That's what fasting's about. Um, my practice of fasting is Mondays. So you are welcome to join me on Mondays. I fast from Sunday evening until Monday at dinner. Uh, almost every week, and so you're welcome to join me during Lent. I would, I would be happy um, to have you join me in prayer during that time on a Monday. So you could skip some food. Um, you could, you know, maybe limit your time on social media. Whatever it is taking up a lot of room in your life, would you just set something aside in those 40 days and make some more room for prayer? That's, that's what I'm hoping that we can do together as God loves to speak to his people, and at the very center of who we are as a church is our desire to be a people who gather together and listen to the Spirit, and then to follow the Spirit's lead. And as this happens, our desire is to do exactly what is happening here in our teaching text this morning. We want to lay hands on the work that God is calling you into. We want to support the thing that God is doing in your life. And friends, listen, sometimes that ends up being something like that you can write home about. Like, I mean, that's sort of how Sanctuary Night got off the ground is that some folks here in the church said we should try some things on Sullivan Avenue. And then it's just like people came around them and said, we, you should do that. But most of the time, the things that God is asking us to do is to love our wife or our husband or our kids or our roommates or to attend to the needs of the people at our workplace. Like most of what God is asking us to do is to do the normal everyday things with love. 
But what is really interesting, even though that feels very vanilla, what's really interesting is that when you hear from God tell you to do a very practical thing or to do a very normal thing, and then you say that out loud in community, I think that the thing that God is asking me to do in this season is to just love my kids with ferocity. And other people come around you and lay their hands on you for that work, that's a game changer. Does that make sense? This doesn't, we're not asking you to think about what great cosmic thing you can do or what great awesome thing that you can do in the world. Just listen to the small voice of God over this next time and this next season to see how God might speak to you. So there are, there are things that God is stirring up in our community um, ministry-wise that we're going to talk a little bit about at the family meeting. Um, there's some things that we want to lay hands on and get behind um, some stuff that is happening on the west side, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in the weeks and the months to come. But friends, our posture during this time of Lent, what I'm asking us to lean into is to worship together by the Spirit, to listen to the Spirit, and to just do whatever the Spirit is asking you to do, and to tell other people around so that we can come and lay hands on you and support you. So we're going to head now into a time of worship. I'm going to invite Noah and Naomi to come on up. I'm going to invite you guys to stand if you can. Lord, we thank you so much for the way that you lead us. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come in our time of worship, Lord, that even now, even on the next 20 or 30 minutes as we worship, Lord, would you begin speaking to us? Would you speak to the hearts of folks that are longing to hear you? In Christ's name.